Hi, welcome to my podcast. My name is Naomi Shulman. I live in Rochester, New York with my husband and kids, and I'm a co-founder of Chazkenu, which is a mental health peer support organization for Jewish women. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the place where spirituality and mental health meet. Um, there's a lot on the subject that I haven't seen discussed anywhere else before, and I started this podcast because I have a lot that I would like to share about it that I've learned in my own life that hopefully will resonate with other people too. My passion for this subject comes from my own personal experience of living with bipolar disorder as a from woman. I was diagnosed in my early 20s, which is prime time to be diagnosed, but I had been struggling mentally and emotionally for many years prior to that. And for a long time, I felt like I'm out of control. Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just, like, I have Bechira. Like, why am I not making the right choice? Why am I not figuring out how to be who I need to be? There is a range of what people with bipolar disorder can experience, but in very general terms, there are by there are depressive episodes and there are manic episodes. And without getting too much into what that means in a diagnostic sense, I'll say that during my manic episodes, I have trended towards the euphoria of spirituality, really delving into that world at the expense of everything else. For example, one year when I was in seminary, we learned about the importance of building a sukkah as soon as possible right after Yom Kippur and how that's the best time to build a sukkah because you're jumping right into the next mitzvah. And I got it in my head that, oh, the second that Yom Kippur is over, I am building a sukkah. Never mind that I'm a seminary student living in a dorm and I don't have a sukkah to build. I'm going to call every family that I know in Harnof because I was learning at Neve Yerushalayim. I'm going to call everybody in Harnof and I'm going to find somebody to let me come over and build their sukkah. And in my mind, I'm going to take all my friends. We're going to go build a sukkah. This would be fantastic. We're doing all these mitzvahs. The second that Yom Kippur was over, before the food came out, before anybody broke their fast, I bounced over to my friends with the energy of, I don't know, you definitely would not think I was fasting, and I was, but I bounced over to them, and I'm like, let's go build a sukkah. And they're like, let's eat spaghetti. What's wrong with you? So a few of them finally agreed. If I could find somebody to agree to let me come help build their sukkah, they will grudgingly follow along after we eat. And I couldn't get anybody to let me come build their sukkah. Surprise, surprise. And so I rounded up anybody who would follow me to come back to my dorm room to learn about building a sukkah. Because when you can't do a mitzvah, the next best thing is to learn about it. And I was talking a mile a minute. And it started to occur to me, like people aren't making the jump from topic to topic with me. The reaction that I'm getting from people when I'm sharing these ideas that I know are so good and so pure and so wonderful and so, you know, I hate to use the word euphoric over and over again, but that's just really what it was, like this total bliss, this total happiness. And it just wasn't being shared by the people around me. And I started, you know, I knew something's a little off, but I couldn't, I didn't really understand it yet. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of my experience with the overlap. And then, so then on the flip side, during depressive episodes, I've a lot of times found myself feeling very, very disconnected, very empty, very passionless, and like nothing had meaning anymore. And sometimes even wondering what I believe in. Like, I don't know if I believe anymore. Like, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't feel anything. It's, um, you know, I describe depression sometimes as times when books just look like words and music just sounds like noise. Like there's just 
no depth to anything and there's no meaning to anything and there's no enjoyment in anything. Sadly, that extends to my experience of Yiddishkeit also. So that's a snapshot of where I'm coming from on a personal level with relation to this topic of mental health and spirituality. I'm not speaking as any sort of expert on mental health or Torah, but I'm just going to share from my heart and hopefully some of these ideas will apply to people who are listening also. I hope that I can put words to experiences that are a lot more common than some people might think. Hopefully it could also help people who haven't had these experiences to understand them also. So if you're listening to one of my podcasts and think, hey, that's a good way to describe what I'm also going through, or maybe this could help someone in my life understand me better, then of course, please share it with them too. I'm hoping that my sharing can help start conversations about some of these subjects that haven't been talked about that much yet. As a disclaimer, nothing on my podcast is meant as professional mental health treatment or as halachic guidance, so please always consult your own doctors and proper dastor if you have any shilas. Today I'm going to talk about my new book that just came out this year called With All I Am. It's published by Tfutsa Publications. It's a book about using everything that we have as individuals in our personal avodas Hashem, including our strengths, our talents, our personalities, life experiences, everything that we've been through, and even our weak points and struggles can help us build a closer and warmer relationship with Hashem. And I also talk about in the book a lot of things that relationship with Hashem can mean that we don't usually talk about in school or in shul, but that doesn't make it any less real. One of the reasons that I wrote this book is to show that having a deep personal relationship with Hashem and really feeling Hashem with us in our lives is something that's for all of us and not just for the great rabbis and rebbitzins and gedolim. It's not something that is beyond anybody's level. It's something that, you know, Hashem created every single person and he's really there for every single person. And he really cares about all the details in every single person's life and that it's possible for all of us to feel that in a real way. I wrote the book from my own story as a bumbling average person, just trying to find my way a lot of the time. And I was really honest in the book. Um, I didn't sugarcoat things, and I shared some very personal things, and not just the details about life events and hashkacha pratis. And there's definitely a lot of that in my story, but what sets this book apart is the focus on what goes on inside. There are a lot of great books already out there that talk about, you know, finding God in the grocery store, you know, finding that last item that you desperately need for a recipe or getting the perfect parking spot when you really need it. And of course, books about big picture ideas of Amuna and Bitachon and huge life or death situations also. But this book is more what happens on the inside. So instead of um, focusing on like, where is Hashem in all the details of... So instead of focusing on all the details of where is Hashem in day-to-day events and things that happen, where is Hashem in the day-to-day fluctuations in our mood and in our mental health and on the inner story? So when we encounter things, whether it's big or it's small or it's really, really life-changing or it's more trivial, it doesn't change how much Hashem is there, how much Hashem is listening. So when I think about my own personal relationship with Hashem, something that always comes to mind 
is that I can never be too much for him. People have limits for what they can handle in relationships, and that's totally normal and healthy. And we should know our limits and not push too far beyond it because we have to take care of our own health and our own well-being. But sometimes that can leave us feeling like our baggage is too heavy for other people. It's too much for us to share our full selves. And the truth is that no person in the world can fully understand anybody else or even themselves. Um, but Hashem can handle everything and he can handle us at our worst and he can cheer us on and, and even our biggest worst secrets that we could ever have and the things that we're the most scared of and the things that we're the most ashamed of. Hashem already knows about all of it and he still always loves us no matter what. And it took me a really long time to get that on an emotional level. And the truth is it doesn't always stay as a constant. I think it's an up and down kind of thing, at least for me. And sometimes I feel that stronger than others. But it really was a life-changing thing when I could finally understand that on a deep level. And that probably sounds a lot fluffier than it is. Um, it's a very down-to-earth thing, and I hope that I can talk about it on a future podcast. Okay, so in With All I Am, I wrote about some things that are usually considered kind of taboo, even though these are things that affect a lot of us. And a lot of times we end up feeling alone because these subjects just aren't things that are talked about or they're not talked about in relationship to anything else. Things like mental illness, pregnancy problems and pregnancy loss, things like struggling with religion, especially with regard to problems of mental health and trauma. And, you know, one of the things that I've been through when I was in seminary, I had struggled with an eating disorder and ended up really at death's door and was hospitalized for weeks. And then I went for months to a residential program. And I started to find that even just thinking back to my time in Israel and thinking back to times when I was trying to grow spiritually, it was all tangled up with the trauma of getting really, really sick. And I just couldn't untangle it for a very long time. And it led to me not really being sure what I believed in and where I wanted to belong in the world. You know, coming back from that wasn't a simple fix. Um, and I think that that's something a lot of people have been through, whether it was an illness or abuse of some kind or any other kind of trauma these are things that a lot of people in our world deal with, and it's not really talked about outside of the mental health arena. Um, so something that sets this book apart from other books is that it's not a book about mental illness or a book about trauma or a book about pregnancy loss, but it embraces all of these things as parts of the human experience. And since they're part of life for a lot of people, there are things that we can use to build our relationship with Hashem and come closer to Him. And not just in a, please Hashem, help me get past this kind of way, but also to see some of the brachas that are hidden in it. Because I know even for myself that inside the madness of bipolar disorder, I have found there are a lot of things that I'm able to use in ways that enhance my life. I feel very deeply and I have a lot of passion and I have a lot of empathy. I'm a very creative person 
Okay, so I wrote the book in three alternating chapter types, and those are the main storyline, which I titled Today, and that's about my high-risk twin pregnancy and all of the hashgacha practice and outright miracles that my family experienced that literally saved our lives more than once. Um, the second chapter type I called Yesterday, and that was about my life leading up to the point where I was writing the book, starting when I was four years old and going up until 30, which is when I had my twins. The Yesterday chapters go in order, but they're each a different story snapshot from my past that helped me get to where I am now and helped in my spiritual development and finding my way to an authentic relationship with Hashem that's real and truthful and that goes way beyond what we usually learn in school or in shirim. That's not to put down school or shirim, just a little bit outside the realm of what's usually taught in school. So I've gone through a lot in my life that has to do with mental health, and I wrote a lot about it in the book. Everything from when I was struggling way before I got diagnosed to when I was grappling with what the diagnosis meant once I got it and finding ways to accept it. And so now I think I've actually found a way to a place that's more than just acceptance. Um, I actually can embrace it as part of who I am and part of my life experience, and I'm able to use it for the good that it has in it too. And that doesn't mean that it's not still hard sometimes because it definitely is. Bipolar is a lifelong struggle, but I've learned to ride the roller coaster a little more calmly over time, and hopefully I'll get better and better at it as time goes on. The third chapter type are chapters that are written as literal tefillos in my own words. And these are things that are from my heart, and they show that tefillah doesn't always have to be pretty. It just has to be real, because Hashem doesn't need us to be perfect, but He wants our hearts. And most of the tefillos in my book aren't long or fancy or anything. They're just from my heart and whatever I happen to be thinking or feeling at that time. And that's what makes them real connection. They're words that I really mean. And it's not to say that davening from a sitter isn't important because, of course, we should learn to connect with the set feelers and the sitter in a real and authentic way, too. But I think that also speaking in our own words is also important. There's also other ways to connect to Hashem, too, that I wrote about. And for me, music has always been a form of tefillah. And whether that's writing my own music or singing along or even just listening to other people's music and hearing those words that are in my heart that maybe I'm having trouble expressing at that moment. Writing has also been a form of tefillah for me. And actually, during my postpartum phase after I had my twins, I actually set up an email account just so that I could email Hashem when I feel like I need to reach out and have it feel a drop more real. So it's helpful. Um, sometimes it's hard to feel like Hashem is really there and really listening because he's not like a person that you talk to him and he talks back the same way. And so there are strategies that I've come up with, such as setting up an email account for Hashem that help me internalize that it's real. There's an excerpt from the book that I especially want to share, and it's one about the links between mental illness and spirituality. And it might be a little bit hard to understand for people who haven't been through this sort of thing, but I hope I'll be able to explain it well. Um, so as a background, a lot of times when people have an episode of severe mental illness, whether it's a bipolar episode or an episode of psychosis, 
it can take on a spiritual quality. And there are a lot of people, whether Jewish or not Jewish, who've had breaks with reality, who thought that they were a religious figure from the past, or thought that they were a Mashiach, or thought that they were a prophet. And there are plenty more people like myself who feel spiritual euphoria during bipolar mania or other episodes of mental illness. So here's the excerpt of my book where I explain how that feels from the inside, at least in my case. I've come to view bipolar mania as an airplane ride. Takeoff is exhilarating. As the plane accelerates, my thoughts become faster and more efficient. I get work done in a fraction of the time that it normally takes. My apartment is cleaner than ever. My laundry gets done. My confidence soars. As the plane rises higher and higher into the sky, I need less and less sleep. I barely eat. I subsist on euphoric passion. The euphoria is blinding. It lifts me partially out of this world and opens a window into the spiritual realm. I want to be in a place of Torah, and sometimes I drive to the nearest shul just to sit inside of it. Within a short time, a few days, sometimes a week or two, the spiritual realm is more real to me than anything in the physical world. It's a pure happiness. It's like standing at the foothills of a great mountain, unable to make out what's at the top, but sensing that it is something wonderful and eternal. I'm awestruck. It's the greatest imaginable feeling. Everything in creation is inextricably connected. I don't know how, but I know that it is. I feel it with my heart, even though I don't understand it with my mind. Without realizing it, I retreat from my relationships with other people. Instead of responding to external stimuli, my experience is more of an internal one. I feel great, but it has very little to do with the objective realities of my life. As I rise ever higher, I inevitably reach a level so high that the air is too thin to hold the plane. It's flying too high and too fast, and the controls jam and pieces start flying off. Unavoidably, the plane wavers and begins to fall. I frantically try to regain control as the plane jerks up and down, trying not to crash. Spiritual euphoria gives way to spiritual tumult. Rapid-fire fluctuations between infinite pleasure and tremendous shame rattle my world. Once I rise too high, the state of spiritual euphoria is unsustainable. Maybe I don't belong there. Maybe it isn't meant for this world. It always ends in a breakdown of sanity. Mania left untreated can last for months at a time. It's dangerous and brings about at least as much pain as pleasure, but that pain is nothing compared to the agony of depression. My experience of depression, the other hallmark of bipolar disorder, is characterized by emotional desolation. To me, depression is not sadness. Depression is a suffocating nothingness, bereft of passion, devoid of spiritual sensitivity. I feel empty. I look forward to nothing. When I'm depressed, I can't feel Hashem's love. I can't feel His hand in my life. Maybe I could understand it intellectually, but my heart is numb. As a child, I had recurring nightmares about power outages. In the dreams, it was always nearing nightfall, and the lights were slowly fading away. Not only the ones plugged into the outlets, but all lights, flashlights, televisions. The big lights were the first to go out, and then the smaller ones. Frantically, I searched my house for the lesser-known lights. The tiny lights above the sink in the bathroom, the pocket-sized flashlight in the kitchen junk drawer, the ones that were hardly ever used and therefore might still retain some power. Some of them would illuminate dimly for a second or two, and I'd watch in horror as even those lights drained away. Soon it was twilight, and the final lights were nearly gone, hope falling away as the final lights faded and died. The world was going dark, but the darkness wasn't just the absence of light. 
With the fading of the light came the fading of happiness and life. As the lights drained from the world, so did hope and ambition and meaning. The world faded to an eerie, emotionless haze. In time, and with more life experience, I came to recognize these dreams as symbolic representations of depression. I know with absolute certainty that depression is the most destructive force in existence. My mental illness poses a great challenge, and I'm still coming to terms with it. It serves as a driving force of innovation and simultaneously threatens to tear down everything I build. The great question, who am I really, plagues me. When I'm up, before the inevitable crash, I feel closest to Hashem, and nothing can dampen my happiness. Everything else is trivial when I trust Hashem's love for me. But when I'm depressed, I feel devoid of meaning. But maybe that's fitting. Maybe that's what I deserve because it's all I've ever earned. Depressed, manic, neither, both. Which is the real me? I don't know. I hope and cautiously believe that my true self is more in the realm of the spiritual, and that I can learn to channel it in a healthy and productive way. In addition to my recurring nightmares about darkness, I also have recurring dreams of a pleasant nature, about a special light that is present when the world is in its ideal state. I imagine that this light might one day reside in the real waking world after the coming of Mashiach. In those dreams, I glide peacefully over large landscapes, viewing forests and oceans, cities and villages, fields and mountains. I can see for miles and miles, and everything is crisp and clear and beautiful. Sometimes I can control my flight and glide lower towards the earth, seeing individual people whom I know. Sometimes I can hear music coming from shoals, people singing together in harmony, not in professional-grade singing voices, but in everyday normal voices. The harmony and euphoria of the singing emanates from the peace among the ones singing. Everyone and everything looks exactly the same as in real life, but the quality is different. Bright, clean, pure, the world is at peace. I hope that those dreams, which far surpass the nightmares in frequency, are more indicative of my truth. According to my mother, my first word as a baby was light. Beyond the endearing sweetness of the story, I hope it means something about who I am. Over the past few years, I've struggled with my identity. Where do I belong? In the world of Torah or in the world of eating disorder recovery and mental health recovery? Since I left Israel, I've had more friends in the recovery world than the Torah world. I'm bouncing all over the map in my observance of halacha. There's so many times when I think it would be easier if I could just commit to a less observant life, but there's a force within me that will never allow it. Maybe it's my conscience, maybe it's my pintalyid, maybe it's a boss call. I don't know what it is, but it holds me in place and never lets me stray too far. It's a warm, glowing, bright light. Without that spiritual boost, I don't know where my life would have ended up by now. It's a gift, and Hashem knew that I would need it. Regardless of how difficult it is to live with bipolar disorder, it's an awesome bracha, and I recognize it as such. It feels like a strange thing to say, but I'm actually grateful to have bipolar if that's what lets me have the spiritual depth. I know, really know, that despite the pain and struggle, mental illness has some concealed greatness hiding within it. That is certainly the case for me, and as I work towards my master's degree in counseling, I wonder if it's the same for other people too. I count the spiritual boost of mania among the greatest gifts Hashem has ever given me. True, it's an undeserved gift, but aren't all gifts undeserved? Okay, so that's the excerpt, and I want to say that I really do believe that it's real, that these things do open a window to the spiritual realm. Even if what we perceive coming through that window is distorted by our perception of it, I've also come to think of it kind of like the honeymoon phase of a relationship. 
you know, when you first meet somebody and fall in love and you have that rosy, everything's awesome kind of infatuation. So it's kind of more of an infatuation than love and doesn't usually last that long. But it doesn't mean that it's not real. I think that that feeling is kind of like a preview of coming attractions, but only if you work for it. And I think that it's the same thing with spiritual euphoria. It is real. It's real spirituality, but it's only a preview. And I think we all know that there's no shortcuts in real growth, whether it's growth in Torah and learning and mitos, but that kind of intense euphoria and inspiration can be a glimpse of what we can achieve in a sustainable way if we work for it. And so that's how I've started to look at it. And I also know that feelings of inspiration of any kind don't usually last that long on their own, that it's important to put inspiration into action as soon as possible to make the most of it while you have that added boost of motivation. So this is where I'm going to end my first podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you'll come back. If you want to see my book, it's available in many Judaica stores and also online, israelbookshop.com, for example. I hope to talk about a lot more topics that have to do with mental health and spirituality because there's really a lot, and I hope that this will help open the discussion. So thank you so much for coming, and I'll see you next time.